Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that as we gather in this place, that your word would burn in our hearts. Lord Jeremiah said that he couldn't be quiet because your word was in his heart like a fire shut up in his bones. Lord, the disciples on the road to Damascus, uh, to Emmaus said, did not our hearts burn within us? As he walked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. God, you said, is not my word like fire and like a hammer that dashes the rocks to pieces. And God, I pray today that your word would come like fire and like a hammer that dashes the rocks to pieces. God, what we need is the fire of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. What we need is the fire of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. What we need is the fire of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And God, I pray today that you would come with fire. I pray today that you would consume our hearts, that you would consume our minds. God, we are tired of fooling around, God. We are tired. We are tired of lukewarm, powerless, ineffective, unproductive Christianity, God. We want the real thing now, God. We want the real deal now, God. We are tired of hearing of revivals in other places and in other times. We want our revival now. God, I pray that the fire would begin to burn among us, God. And I pray that among us you would raise up the fellowship of the burning heart, God. I pray that you would raise up the fellowship of the burning heart. God, I pray that you do it today in the name of the Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we stand in expectation that you're going to do something mighty among us today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And everybody give God a shout of praise. Today, I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and, and as you're turning there, I just want to turn your attention to the, the, the vision statement. We talked about the mission statement of the church, and we're going um, to continue to hit these things, but, but in, in the, the vision statement of the church says that our vision is to be a spirit-centered, word-filled gathering of passionate worshipers, a spirit-centered, word-filled Excuse me, gathering of passionate worshipers who pray fervently, love intentionally, and whose hearts burn to see Jesus and to reflect his glory to every, to every creature under heaven. To be a spirit-centered, word-filled gathering of passionate worshipers who pray fervently, love intentionally, and whose hearts burn to see Jesus and to reflect his glory to every creature under heaven. I want to focus on that second to the last phrase, whose hearts burn to see Jesus. I want us to start there today. Our our vision is to be a gathering of passionate worshipers whose hearts burn to see Jesus. Whose hearts burn to see Jesus. And I want to know today, does your heart burn to see Jesus? Does your heart desire to see Jesus? That's the only thing I want you to focus in on today is allowing your heart to begin to burn to see Jesus, allowing your heart to begin to burn to see Jesus. Christianity is not simply a philosophy. It is not simply a religion. It is a relationship. It is a living relationship. But if you were in relationship with somebody that you never saw, you would feel disconnected from them, wouldn't you? If you were in relationship with somebody that you never heard from, you would feel disconnected with them from them, wouldn't you? And we are living in a situation in which most Christians claim to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, but feel completely disconnected from him because they never see him and they never hear from him. Now, I'm, I'm telling you that if, if all you had was a letter from the one you love, 
but not their physical presence, you would feel disconnected from them. I'm telling you that we have more than just the Bible as God's love letter. Yes, the Bible is God's love letter to us, and the Scriptures are powerful and they are mighty, but the purpose for which God gives us the Scripture is that we might encounter His living presence and His living Word through it. He doesn't want it simply to be the the ancient words of an ancient text, but that it would be the living Word of the living God. And so I want us to awaken our awareness and anticipation that God wants to do something more with our spiritual lives than what we've experienced to this point. Now, Paul, I'm blown away by the confidence that I see in Paul. I want to start by saying what I see in Paul is that he has no fear of pride. And this is the place where most believers get hung up. For some reason in the contemporary church, There is such a fear of pride. Now let me start by saying pride is a problem. I'm not saying that pride is not a problem, but I'm saying that pride is not the biggest problem. There's a problem bigger than pride, and that problem is inferiority. See, we are so afraid that we're going to start living above the place that God has set us and become like Satan, who said, I will exalt myself above the Most High. And God said, no, you're cast down. And we've preached against pride for so long because when we come into the place of pride, we come into the place that Satan brought himself into, and that's what got him the right foot of fellowship and got him put out of heaven. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So pride is a bad thing. You don't want to walk in pride. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't want to walk in pride. Don't want to walk in pride. Look at another neighbor and say, I'm so tired of looking at my neighbor. (laughs) Neighbor, don't look at me. (laughs) She preached that. So pride is a bad thing. But inferiority is even worse. Inferiority will cause you to live beneath the place that God has set you. And that's no better. But we think that's humble, isn't it? We think it's humble if I'm just living beneath Oh, I'm just low. I'm just thankful to be the Lord's floor mat. How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm just hanging on by a thread. Just trying to make it. We used to say all the time growing up, I'm just trying to stay saved. Just trying to make it into the kingdom. Just trying to stay saved. Living when you have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Far above all power and principality and dominion and might. And every name. What do you mean you're trying to stay saved? You've already been seated with Christ. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you ever feel like you need some wisdom or knowledge? Do you know that the Bible says that all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ? And then it says that you're hidden in Christ? You've got two roommates. One is named Wisdom and the other is named Knowledge. And two traveling companions that go with you everywhere you go. One is named Goodness and the other is named Mercy. Goodness and Mercy follow you and you are living in a house with two roommates named Wisdom and Knowledge. So why do we say foolishness like I don't know? I'm so confused. You know what that is? That's a demonic tongue. You know, when you speak in tongues by the Spirit, you're speaking things that only the Spirit understands. If I were to start speaking in tongues right here, nobody would understand a word I said. Why? Because I'm speaking mysteries in the Spirit. Do you know that there are certain mysteries that even God can't understand? Like the words, I don't know. God looks at Jesus and the Holy Spirit and says, do you understand what he just said? Because that, that, you know, I don't, I've never had that experience of not knowing. Or like the word impossible. 
The father says, Jesus, go get the heavenly dictionary and see if the word impossible is in there. I don't think it's there. Do you know what the word impossible is? I don't understand the word impossible. It's not a part of my vocabulary. How can you not know when you've been hidden in Christ where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are? You've got to give God something to work with. And that means you've got to give him a better confession. You got to stop saying I'm lost and start saying I might not see where I'm going, but I'm not lost. I'm with Jesus and he's never lost. Instead of saying, I don't know. I don't know the way. I don't know where I'm going. Start saying I might not see where I'm going, but I know that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident of this very thing. Even if I don't see it, I know I'm going to that place. I know that the Lord is leading me and I cannot lose it. Are you hearing me? you got to give God something to work with, and that means you need a better confession. Now, here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul is speaking with great confidence, coming to the end of his life. You know, I've heard a lot of preachers say, I want to say this at the end of my life. I want to be able to say this. You know what? I'm going to say this at the end of my life. I'm going to say it. Why, why do I say I want to say this? As if it somehow depends on me. As if there's a chance that I, I won't say this. Are you kidding me? If it depended on me, I won't, I won't say it. But he keeps me from falling and presents me blameless before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. So I'm going to say this. When I come to the end of my life, I'm going to open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Do you hear? the Man, if if this wasn't in the Bible and one of us said it, we'd be branded a heretic. What are you talking about? You fought the good fight. Well, only God can judge that. Paul says, no, I know it. I've been fighting for my life every day since the Lord called me, and I have fought the good fight. You know why? Because the good fight is the fight of faith. I have fought to believe since the day he called me. I have fought the good fight. I finished my race, and I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Paul said, "God is when I stand before God, he's not going uh, uh, to debate whether to let me in or not. You know, I heard Billy Graham recently was, was, uh, was, was interviewed and they asked him, you, you know, are you going to heaven when you die? He said, well, I don't know. Hopefully. I'm not sure. I don't even know if I'm going to make it in. None of us can be sure. That type of salvific agnosticism is ridiculous. I don't know. John says in, in 1 John 2, 12, I write to you, I write to you little children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. That's baby stuff. Knowing that you're going to make it into heaven, that's what he reveals to kids. My daughter, my three-year-old daughter knows that. You don't need to be spiritually mature. That's nothing. Paul says, I know, I got something better. He's going to give me a crown of righteousness. When I stand before him, he's going to be holding a crown of righteousness in his hand. And I'm going to be looking up to him going, yep, that's for me. Watch. I'm getting that one. That's for me. 
he's going to award to me a crown of righteousness. And you and I would look at Paul and say, well, that's Paul. I mean, that's the great apostle Paul. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and blinded him for three days. He gave his life. He was beheaded for the gospel. He planted all of those churches. He was the great apostle. He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. That's the apostle Paul. Of course, he gets the crown of righteousness. Well, you need to keep reading. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me. Don't you dare think that I'm so special that I get a crown and you don't. Don't you dare think that you need to be a great apostle in order to get a crown. Don't you dare think that only church planners get a crown. Don't you dare think that only New Testament letter writers get a crown. Don't you dare think that there's a special and elite group of Christians that, that have to do good works in order to get a crown of righteousness. Your righteousness is not based on your works anyway. If he based it on your works, you wouldn't get a crown. You'd get some filthy rags. He'd say, let's see, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clothe you with your righteousness. Let's see, let me look at your righteousness. Okay, bring out the nastiest, filthiest rags you can find and clothe this brother in it. That's what you get for your righteousness. Let me tell you something. When he clothes us, he clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that gets me the crown, not my own righteousness. So Paul says, you want a crown? I'll tell you how to get a crown. A crown of righteousness? You want to be able to say at the end of your life that you fought the good fight? You want to be able to say at the end of your life that you ran your race? You want to be able to say at the end of your life that you kept the faith? Let me tell you how to do it. Love his appearing. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Loving his appearing means that your heart burns to see Jesus. Loving his appearing is not the same thing as saying no to sin. That's basic children's stuff. Loving his appearing is not memorizing a couple scriptures here and there. That's children's stuff. Loving his appearing is not just going to church every Sunday or giving a generous offering in the plate. Loving his appearing is not the same thing as serving a ministry. Loving his appearing is not being excellent in your work. Loving his appearing is just that. Does your heart burn to see Jesus? Jesus. Does your heart burn? I'm talking about getting down to the fundamentals of it, getting down to the basics of it. You know, we've talked about stewardship this year, and we're getting ready to, to, to revamp a whole series on stewardship, and we're going to talk more and more about stewardship as we're moving through the year. But let me, let's get down to the basics of stewardship. Stewardship is the maintenance and development of what you've received. It means when you get it, you don't lose it. You don't squander it. It means when God gives you something, can he trust you to take care of it and to develop it and to increase it? Or will you squander it and lose it? And we know we need to steward our money. We know we need to steward our time. We know we need to steward our relationships. We know we need to steward our responsibilities. But, but how about stewarding that love for Jesus that was characteristic of you when you first got saved? Before you matured. And became lukewarm. <laughs> that love for Jesus. That passionate love. I'm talking about if you had known nothing. And somebody locked you in a room with a Bible. What would you come out with your heart burning for? 
You would come out with your heart burning to see Jesus, to have visitations of his presence and his power, to have visions of him like they did in the New Testament, to, to have him walk with you on the road. And your heart would be burning to see his works, to see the sick healed and demons cast out and the dead raised. Your heart wouldn't yearn for nice church services and an ethical lifestyle and a few theological principles. The one thing that the majority of believers have lost in contemporary Christianity is the love for his appearing. The love for his appearing. Now, let me set your expectation in the right place. Do you realize, and I've heard people even teach the opposite, although it's not to be found anywhere in the New Testament, that you can see Jesus. I mean, do you really expect that God is going to open your eyes so that you begin to see Jesus. Because if you do not believe that you can actually begin to see Jesus, there's absolutely no hope for you becoming like him. First John chapter three, beloved. Now we are the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that we will be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. And then he says, and everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. If you do not have the hope of seeing Jesus burning in your heart, you have no hope of purifying yourself. So many of us are trying to get clean from stuff without the hope of seeing Jesus. Simply with the hope of purifying ourselves. Purifying yourself is not the hope that you're to cling to. Peter said it also in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said in verse 11, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil lusts that you once conformed to when you walked in ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy... So you also be holy, for it is written, be holy for I am holy. Actually, he said before that, he said, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That's what I was reaching for. Gird up the loins of your mind. The NIV says, prepare your mind for action. Be sober and set your hope fully upon the grace that is to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see that? Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Are you hoping for your improvement? Are you hoping that you're going to get better? Are you hoping that things are going to get better? Are you hoping that you're going to mature? Are you hoping in the future of you? Are you hoping in the appearing of Jesus Christ? The only hope that you're to set your hope fully on is the hope that you're going to grow in your ability to see Jesus that you're going to grow in your ability to see Jesus. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. It is the revealing of Jesus, the appearing of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus that our hope is to be set upon. In other words, our hearts should burn to see Jesus. Notice that in our vision statement, there's nothing about ethics. It doesn't say our vision is to be a morally upright group of ethically astute individuals who do not smoke, do not chew, and do not go with girls who do. That is not our mission statement. 
Do we want to live clean and pure and morally upright lives? Of course. But the way there is not to pursue purity, but to pursue Jesus. It's to pursue the vision of Jesus, and that is what makes us pure. Any impurity in our lives comes from a failure to see Jesus clearly. (coughs) Did you get that? You begin to see Jesus, and he purifies you. But your hearts have to burn to see Jesus. The problem is, when there's impurity in our lives, we tend to run from the presence of Jesus rather than long for the presence of Jesus. But the presence of Jesus is the only thing that can make us holy. Our only way out is the presence of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. So what I'm saying to you is, even in the midst of your stuff, in the midst of your struggle, I want you to discipline your heart and steward the hope of the appearing of Jesus Christ. You've got to steward it. You've got to make a decision. I'm not going to lose this. You've got to make a decision. I'm not going to relinquish this. My heart is going to... L- burn to see Jesus. My heart is going to burn to see Jesus. Listen, I don't care what you do as long as your heart is burning to see Jesus. I don't care where you go as long as your heart is burning to see Jesus. People have asked me all kinds of ethical questions. Pastor, is this okay? Pastor, is that okay? Is it okay to do this? What about having a glass of wine with dinner? What about smoking a little weed? What about doing this? What about doing... Let me tell you something. I tell you, you can do whatever you want if you see Jesus and he's okay with it. If you come out of your prayer closet and you've just seen Jesus and you said, me and Jesus are going to smoke this blunt, if you can really do that, then you smoke that blunt. (laughs) However, if you say that, I'm going to tell you who you saw and there was not Jesus. (laughs) I'm going to judge that vision real quick. Come on, somebody. Whose hearts love his appearing. The crown is for those who love his appearing. Who love his appearing. You know, the hard thing is, we live in a day and age, if you went back to the early church, you lived in a day and age where everybody had seen Jesus. In the flesh. And even after his ascension, most of them had seen the resurrected Lord. He walked with them for 40 days after his resurrection. And spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine Jesus walking with you? I mean, literally, you're seeing the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that whole concept of seeing the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is so foreign to most of us. It should be familiar to us. It should be familiar. We are walking so far from him that his presence is unfamiliar. His presence is a strange thing. So that, you know, there's a place. I've always come to this place in prayer where I start to become afraid. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Where I'm pursuing the presence of God. Oh, Lord, I want to see you. I want to manifest. And all of a sudden, the heat goes up to another level. And I get scared that he's actually going to appear. Proceed with caution, my friend. Lord, come. Oh, Lord, are you going to really come? When you start seeing him, it's a scary thing. I'll never forget the first time I saw him. I was telling Pastor Guillermo about it on my way here this morning. I didn't tell him this part, though. 
I was a Bible college student. I think I was probably 18 years old. It was my first year of Bible college. A friend of mine was trying to get me to go with him to this, to this prayer meeting. It was actually in Emeryville. It was a prayer meeting at somebody's house, his pastor's house. He had told me for months, you've got to come to my pastor's house. We have prayer meetings every night at 10 p.m. And every time he told me, I felt like this hole opening up in the pit of my stomach, something in me saying, some, just this negative feeling, something on the inside, something's wrong. He said, you got to go with me. And I would say, oh, okay, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And he, he told me day after day for weeks and months, and I just kept saying, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Huh. But I just kept having this negative feeling, and I thought it was the flesh. I thought, why do I not want to pray? I pray all the time. During that season, I was praying six, seven, eight hours a day. So I'm like, it doesn't make sense that I don't want to pray. Why don't I want to pray? Lord, forgive me. I'd go, I'd feel that negative feeling. And I'd be, Lord, I'd go home and pray for an hour. God, forgive me for not wanting to pray. That just went right over your head. Prayed for an hour. Forgive me for not wanting to pray. Anyway, one day he came to me. He said, he said, he said, Benjamin, you got to go to this prayer meeting tonight. Come on. I'm sick and tired of you dodging me. I'm going to pick you up at your house at nine. And I just overrode that, that, that negative feeling. I said, okay, come to my house at 9. I went home at about 8. I went down into my room. I closed my door. I opened my Bible. I turned on my worship music. And I turned my heart to the Lord. And immediately the Lord spoke to me. It was like he thundered from heaven and said, you are not going to that prayer meeting. I grabbed the phone. I called my buddy. I said, I ain't going tonight, bro. I'm sorry, but the Lord is emphatic. I am not going. He said, oh, no problem, no problem. Okay. I said, okay, cool, bye-bye. Hung up the phone, and I went back into the presence of the Lord. I just start praying, and I start worshiping. All of a sudden, the Lord Jesus stood next to me. I mean, I could go back to that house right now and show you the spot where he stood. He stood right there. I saw him, and he began to speak to me. Another time, I'll tell you what he said. It was very powerful. The next day, and I thought, man, I just had this powerful, I was with the Lord all night long. I had this powerful encounter with God, and I thought, he didn't want me to go to that prayer meeting because he wanted to encounter me. The next day, I ran into my buddy in the afternoon. I said, hey, man, how you doing? He goes, not good. I said, what's wrong? He said, everybody that was at that prayer meeting last night is in jail today. I said, in jail? What are you talking about? He said, last night when I got to that prayer meeting, there was a woman wrapped up in a rug on the floor, dead. They were doing deliverance on her, and they beat her to death trying to cast the devil out of her. And so now my pastor and half the members of my church are in jail, and I just came from the police station where they were questioning me. And I thought, Lord, I would have been caught up in that mess. I would just be coming out of the police station right now. They would have interrogated the mess out of me. You know what protected me? What protected me was my passion to see Jesus. You see, we're so worried that we're not going to have the right information at the right time. We're so worried that we're not going to want, know what to do. You don't have to see what's coming. What we want is for God to download information so that we can make good decisions on a daily basis. And what God wants is for us to focus on seeing Jesus, that our hearts would burn to see Jesus, that our hearts would cry out, Lord, open my eyes and let me see you and become real to me. Become real to me. Become real to me. Do you know that there is a place in God where Jesus becomes more real to you than the world around you? Where his promises become more real than your circumstances. A place where you marvel when people believe their circumstances when they've received a promise from God to the contrary. We are so quick to believe our circumstances. Yeah. Pastor Daniels was saying, he was cracking up, we did family retreat. And at the, when we, the day before we left for the family retreat, they called us at the family retreat center and they said, 
At, from 3 to 5 today, they're going to shut down the highway. So if you guys don't get on that highway before 3, you're not going to make it here. And we scrambled. Oh, Lord, they're going to shut down the highway. And I called Pastor Daniels. I didn't get the message till 11 a.m. And we, that meant we had to leave by noon. So I called Pastor I said, I got to pick you up in 30 minutes. We got to get out there. They're going to shut down that highway. He said, oh, Lord. <laughs> and we're scrambling and rushing and driving fast. And I get to his house and we throw everything in the car. And, you know, we didn't even stop for lunch. We're all hungry, you know. And they never did shut down that highway. And we get to the family retreat center. He said, oh, Lord, I, I forgot my Bible. Forgot my Bible at home. He said, I was rushing so much. And he laughed. And he said, isn't it funny that when they said, we're going to shut down that highway, we just believed it. I mean, we just believed it. We believed it so fervently that we acted on it with all haste. He said, everything in us just believed it. There was nothing in us that doubted it. He said, but yet God can give you a promise and say, I'm going to make you the head and not the tail. And you say, well, we'll see. When God gives you a promise, you should be rushing. Oh, Lord, he's going to, he said it's going to rain. We got to buy umbrellas. We got to buy umbrellas. Where's the umbrellas? But the promises of God will say, well, I'll see if I can get a confirmation on that. I'll take that home and pray. We never asked for a confirmation when they said the road was going to close. I'm, t- I'm telling you, we believe it. You know, Peter Youngren, Peter Youngren, he's a pastor up in Canada and the Lord told him to do a crusade in Pakistan in a particular city. So he grabbed his, his crusade director and said, go to that city and set up the crusade. So he flies into that city in Pakistan, and he goes downtown to the office, and he applies for the permit to do the crusade, and they denied it. He went back the next day and applied again. They denied it. He applied again, and they denied it. He applied again. They denied it. He started talking to everybody in that office he could, and they denied, 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 denied. Of course, it's a very strongly... Uh, radical Islamist presence there in that particular city. And so at a certain point, I would have turned around and went home. They would have denied me twice maybe, and I would have went back to Peter and said, sorry, Peter, you know, it's just not possible. You know what? This man refused to believe that it was impossible. He kept applying, and he applied about 15 times and got denied every time. Finally, he went into the office. He went into the office of the director who kept denying him. And he was trying to, he was going to reason with him, but then he looked over and saw his wife was there and she was in a wheelchair paralyzed from the waist down. And he went, stand up and walk in Jesus name. She jumped up and was completely healed. And the guy approved it. And tens of thousands of people were saved in that crusade. Why? Because one man would not take no for an answer. One man simply wouldn't believe the devil's no when the Lord said yes. One man simply believed that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us by the glory of God. When God says yes, do you say amen? I'm so sick and tired of us saying yes to saying amen to the devil's no. The devil says no. And we go, amen, amen. amen. It's not possible. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord, you missed yourself. <laughs> you missed God on that one, God. I want to ask you today, does your heart long to see Jesus? Does your heart long? That's, that's the only thing I want to know. I don't want to know what you're doing. I don't want to know what you're struggling with. I don't want to know what your problem is. I want to know, does your heart long to see Jesus? 
My prayer today is that God would stir up that passionate desire to see Jesus. We used to sing a song when I was growing up. It said, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch him, to say that we love him. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. We've been talking about building the fellowship of the burning heart. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they said, did not our hearts burn within us as we walked with him on the road? They walked with Jesus for seven miles and didn't recognize him. But when they looked back, they said the whole time, our hearts were ablaze within us. That fellowship of the burning heart, their hearts were burning. And when he was made known to them in the breaking of bread, they had to run and tell everyone, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. I'm telling you that you cannot go wrong if your heart is burning to see Jesus. You can't make a mistake. You can't go in the wrong direction if your heart is burning to see Jesus. But I'm telling you that if your heart is not burning to see Jesus, I don't care how much uh, intellectual acumen, I don't care how much experience or worldly knowledge you have, I'm telling you that you're going to go the wrong way and make the wrong decision and nothing is going to come out right for you. I'm telling you we're longing for the wrong things. Does your heart burn to see Jesus? Is your heart longing for his appearing? Today, if your heart is longing for his appearing, there's a crown of righteousness waiting for you. Crown of righteousness. You'll be able to say, because you'll know that you fought the right fight. You'll know that you finished the right race. I don't want to run the wrong race. I finished the race. Yeah, but that's not the race that you were supposed to run. You'll know that you've kept the faith and you'll have confidence to say, he's going to give me a crown. He's going to give me a crown because the one thing that I've held on to all these years is my love for the appearing of Jesus. Bow your heads this morning. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would give us your Holy Spirit this morning in such a way that it would awaken our hearts. God, awaken our desire. Awaken our desire. God, some of us have lost our desire. And it's not that our desire can ever be lost, but it can be buried. John Piper said, if you do not hunger and thirst for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled too long at the table of the world. Your soul is so stuffed with the small that there's no room for the great. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would cleanse our palate of the taste of the world. That you would take the taste of the world out of our mouths and that you would cause us to begin to hunger and thirst again for that which is truly great, the presence of God. The love of God, the glory of God, the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, the scripture says that the prince of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But Father, today I pray that you would remove the blinders from our eyes so that we are not unbelievers who can't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we are believers and our eyes are open and we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, 
remove the veil from our eyes. You said all we who with unveiled faces, steadfastly beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image. God, remove the veils. Let us look right into your glory, right into the face of Jesus Christ. We long for the face of Jesus Christ. Our hearts are not crying out for bigger buildings and more seats and more people and more money. Our hearts are not crying out for bigger houses and nicer cars. Our hearts are crying out for the face of Jesus Christ. We want to see your face. We want to see your face. Come on, just begin to talk to him right now. Ask him. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. No disappointment. You're not going to walk in disappointment because nothing happened when you prayed. You're going to steward the desire. You're going to steward the desire to see his face. And every day you're going to grow closer and closer. His presence is going to draw nearer and nearer, nearer and nearer, nearer and nearer. You're going to begin to see his glory. You're going to begin to arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And then the Gentiles will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall look and be radiant and your heart will swell with joy. Father, I declare today that those who look to you are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Look to the Lord today. Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Jesus says today, look unto me. Look unto me. Stop looking to the left and to the right. Stop looking to things. Stop looking to family. Stop hoping in money. Stop hoping in the coming of things and and begin to hope in the coming of the Lord. Look unto me, says the Lord. Look unto me. Look unto me. God, I look to you. God, I look to you. Come on, begin to say it. God, I look to you. I look to you, I look to you, I look to you, I lift up my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven. As the eyes of a slave look to the hand of his master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Our eyes look to you, the eyes of all men look to you, and you give them their food at the appointed time. You stretch out your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God, we desire you today. We desire you. Father, I speak your blessing. I speak your blessing. I speak your blessing. I speak your blessing. And I bless the desire of every heart. God, I thank you that in every heart there's a desire to see you. Lord, that desire can be buried, but it cannot be destroyed. You've put it in every human being. In every human being, you put a desire to know you. Lord, if we're not acquainted with that desire, it's just because we buried it. But Father, I pray you'd unearth it. I pray you'd unearth it, God, even for those who don't expect it to be unearthed this morning. I pray that that desire would break through the surface, that it would burst through every barrier, that it would burst through every barrier, and that it would begin to roar like a lion, that it would begin to burn like a fire, that it would begin to burn like a fire, God, that it would be like a fire, oh God. Mighty God, we need the fire of the Holy Spirit, the fire of desire, the fire of longing, the fire of desire for the presence of God to be with Jesus. To see him, to see him, to see him. Lord, that we might be like John, who said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard a voice behind me like the sound of a trumpet. And I turned to see the voice that spoke and I saw one like a son of man standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. 
His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. He was wearing a robe down to his feet and a golden sash across his chest. His feet were like fine bronze, refined in the fire. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Mighty God, open our eyes to see this Jesus. 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 To see this Jesus whose eyes are like a flame of fire. To see this Jesus. To see this Jesus. Open our eyes. And open our hearts. That our cry in the night. That our longing in the night. Would be to see Jesus. To see Jesus. Lord it's not about what we know. There's some here in this place today that say, I don't have much theological knowledge. I haven't memorized much scripture. I might not have been saved for very long. One thing I've got, my heart loves his appearing. My heart longs for him. That fire to know him. Because Lord, I could amass all of the knowledge in the world. I could have the gift of prophecy and know all wisdom and all knowledge, but have not love. That love for his appearing. It profits me nothing. Knowledge puffs up, but love covers a multitude of sins. That love for the appearing of Jesus, it covers a multitude of sins. That love for his appearing, love, love, adoring his appearing. adoring. I'm telling you, if you would get one glimpse of Jesus, you would give your life for one more glimpse. If you would just see him for a moment, you would give everything you have to see him for one more moment. If you would stand in his presence, I'm telling you, there's a place in him. And he's calling us to that place. God, we're coming. We're coming. We're coming. Here I am. Here I am. Present yourself to the Lord. Here I am. I'm telling you today that I don't need to call you to this altar for this word to have an effect on your life. Because the word of the Lord always hits its mark and it never returns to him void. And I say that there are many of you here today that you're receiving this word and you'll never be the same again from this day forward. You know why? Because a burning passion to know the Lord is being born in your heart. Some of you don't think it's happened, but it's happened in you. I'm telling you. Some of you don't feel like it's happened, but I'm telling you, you're going to start getting woken up in the middle of the night, crying out to God in the night. Waking up early in the morning and just desiring to be in his presence. And you know what's being removed is that judgment of the enemy. That condemnation of Satan that comes and says you're not praying enough or you're not spiritual enough or you're not this enough, you're not that enough. That What's going to refute it is yes, but my heart burns to see Jesus. My heart burns. My heart is burning. My heart is burning. My heart is burning. Some of you are trying to get through some stuff. You say, I need to get rid of this stuff from my life first. No, you don't. No, I'm telling you, in the midst of that stuff, embrace the desire to see Jesus and he'll burn it all away. It's the fire of his presence that burns away stuff that you, you could spend the rest of your life trying to clean yourself up. But one moment in the fire, one moment in the fire and that stuff is burned out of your life. I'm telling you that the fire of God is coming today to burn some stuff out of your life that you've been trying to get rid of for years. It's the fire of God. It's the fire of God. Father, release your fire. Release your fire. Release your fire. Release your fire. We receive you. In Jesus' name. It is finished. It's done. 
You got it. Thank you.